I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome back, everybody, to kick off the week in hockey. It is the Monday edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Metis, Julian McKenzie with you for the next hour or so. We'll recap the weekend, the Clash of the Titans, Toronto-Boston. We'll, we'll hit on that. Uh, real busy schedule on this Monday. Holiday in the United States, Martin Luther King Day, which means a bunch of matinee games. Talk about the Flyers, too. Like, Are, are they just doing this all wrong, uh, winning some games uh, that they shouldn't be winning? We'll talk about that. Uh, some sad news, too, that we want to touch on with the uh, the passing of Gino Logic at the age of 50, uh, 52. Uh, so we got a, got a lot to get to here uh, on this Monday edition of the pod. But Julian, I got to ask you first, though. Uh, this is podcast number two for you, co-hosting with a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. Yes. On a playoff game day, no less. Yes. Yes. How, how's Chris do, John? I, how's my man Chris Johnson doing? Uh, dude is anxious. He told a story, uh, which you'll be able to hear on the, uh, the Chris Johnston show, that um, he got a text from a friend of his um, yesterday, being Sunday, uh, saying that uh, the friend left aside, well, not left aside, but uh, he had a spare ticket uh, for the Buccaneers-Cowboys game, and CJ said no. Yes, there's the fact that, you know, yes, you got to fly down to Tampa and ticket prices and you got to work and all that stuff, but CJ, I think, is also genuinely, like, like he, he understands that, like, he could be in for, like, wasting his money. Essentially, like that's how down bad he is as a Cowboys fan with how the expectations are. Like he 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 anticipates a situation where like he could have easily just gone down there and like just watched a debacle. Boy, you know what? The the closest thing I think to being a Dallas Cowboys fan is being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And and I say that with the utmost respect here. Look, I'm a diehard 
diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. Like I got pictures of me as a five-year-old in Dallas Cowboys gear. Like it, it goes back for me. Okay. So I'm a legit lifelong diehard fan. There's no worse feeling. And I'm sure Maple Leafs fans can appreciate this or relate to this. You go into big games and you just, you're just expecting the worst to happen. So you almost kind of, and I think uh, CJ is doing the same thing. You build up these fences and walls around you. Like you can't hurt me anymore, but they still find a way to get in and they still mm. hurt you. Even though I know Tom Brady's going to dial it back tonight. Like it's 2007 and he's going to have 15 straight completions at some point. Dallas will lose. I will have seen it coming from, from a mile away, and yet I'll still be wounded at the end of the night. <laughs> Explain that to me. That's what I don't understand being a sports fan. Because that's what it is, man. And, and like you, you, you willingly put up with the hope and expectations. It's Ted Lasso who said, it's the hope that kills you, brother. Like, that's what happens, man. That's why you have to. That's why, you know what? I'm a New York Jets fan. So I've been conditioned for the last decade or so. Even beyond that, I know they've had a bit of success, like with the back-to-back AFC championship runs and all that. But I've been conditioned to not expect greatness. I've been conditioned to not expect them to be amounting to anything. So that way, like when they fail, I know they're gonna fail. I'm good with it. I'm, I'm. It's built in. It's fine. So when they succeed, I'm happy. That's bonus. That's a grave. That's gravy for what? me. That's that's how that's how I cope. Basically, for me, and maybe it's not the greatest feeling. But when my teams do well, I'm very happy, but I always keep the expectations a little low because I know at the end of the day, all it takes is one chop at the knees and you are back down uh, and humbled. Like, that's how I feel about that's how I feel about the Jets. That's how I feel about Manchester United, which is a club that has seen better days. They're trying yeah. to get better now. But like all it takes is like one loss to to some random second division team and like the Carabao Cup, which is not going to happen this year. Um, but like you see what I mean, like all it takes is one loss and all of the memes come back. Like I've been conditioned to just lower my expectations. And that's what Cowboys fans should do, too. Here's you know what? I'm actually glad not to hijack this, but I'm very glad that you made the comparison of Cowboys and Leafs fans, because I don't think that the comparison just stops at the fact that like when big games come, you know, they expect the worst. There are fans of those two teams who do think that way. There are also fans of both of those things right. <laughs> who are yeah. delusional, who think they're just going to win everything. And they think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's also very liable. And that's why people get a kick out of seeing both of those franchises lose because of the people who put those teams on the pedestal and they get knocked down. And I think so, that's what it is. If there were more people who were humble in both of those franchises, then I think people would like them more. Okay. And I agree with you. And I think a lot of hockey fans enjoy watching the Maple Leafs implode in April, right? Like it, it, they, they enjoy it. They relish it. Or February, um, depending on whoever's in net that night. Right. It's, 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 it's always happens in February. But look, the Dallas Cowboys are the same way. But I think there's a lot of uh, NFL fans that also want to see Tom Brady fall flat right now. Like we've That is all, also true, okay? too. Yes. So here, here's my question to bring this back, because we want to make sure people know. This is the athletic hockey show. This is yes. not the athletic football show. Athletic hockey show. So here's my question. Okay. Yes. Cowboys are facing Tom Brady in the wild card game Monday. What's the NHL equivalent of this? Where fans are watching and kind of secretly saying, you know, if there was a way that both of them could lose, I would love to select that option. So 
Here's what I've come down on. Do you think it would be the Toronto Maple Leafs playing the role of the Dallas Cowboys and Sidney Crosby playing the role of Tom Brady? Like, a, like and I love oh, Sid. I actually, I have nothing but respect. But, but do you feel like fans are tired? Like, hey, you've got your three cops. Like, get out of here. Like, who's the guy? You know, who's, who's the most... Who's the Tom? Is there a Tom? Is there a guy, a player that we singularly look at and be like, okay, enough. We've had enough of you. Man, here's the thing: like Sidney Crosby, Maybe not. I don't think there is because, like, like Sidney Crosby, like I, I don't. He's not like. He's not say Tom Brady's obnoxious about him winning, but like the fans of Tom Brady are overly obnoxious about how great he is and how amazing, amazing he is. And like, we don't need people like reminding us every day. Like we get it. We've seen him win the Super Bowls the way that he has. Sidney Crosby doesn't have that same effect. Like he gets that universal respect for his talent, his ability, uh, and, and, and just his, his, his ability in clutch moments, notably at the 2010 Olympics, of course. So like, no, he doesn't get that. I didn't even think about it from the standpoint of like an individual, I honestly really just thought about it from the standpoint of like two teams that like I I know people just don't really like. And you could make an argument. We saw that matchup over the weekend with Bruins and Leafs, considering how people feel about both franchises. Also, if you're trying to make that direct parallel, I mean, Tom Brady spent the bulk of his career playing for a team in Massachusetts, right? Maybe that's close enough. But there's no one in the NHL can think of who like has there the winning. No, there's no one in the NHL that I mean, there's no one in sports. Well, beyond you, you like, know who it is? Beyond like Michael it's Le- Jordan. It, it's LeBron. Like that's LeBron, true. I, that's fine. I think there's yeah. some LeBron fatigue. I think there's some Brady fatigue. I don't. Has it reached that point with Sid? No. Or I don't think so. Okay. Okay. I don't think so. No, I, because like, because like, like Sidney Crosby. I don't. I think I don't. You know what it is? Because when Tom Brady wins, you know, fine. Like the Patriots win the Super Bowl. But it has evolved into a thing where it's about Brady's legacy, and he's the front-facing figure in all of that. When LeBron wins or LeBron goes to an NBA Finals, it becomes less of, oh, the Cleveland Cavaliers were able to do it. Oh, the the Los Angeles Lakers were able to do it. LeBron James has has added to his legacy. When Sidney Crosby wins, like we acknowledge it, but I don't think we we hype it in the same way. And like Sidney Crosby as a personality does not – he is not front-facing – in the same way that Tom Brady is with his with his now ex supermodel wife and and all he does with his family and 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 all the 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 celebrity appearances he does and the way he goes about his life. LeBron James, another front facing celebrity who does all this other extracurricular activity beyond the court, whether it's being in movies, working on his his school, and all this other stuff. Can you tell me anything you know about Sidney Crosby off the ice? Yes, I can. And I can tell you something very definitive. And that is recently, a group of Ramuski fans got together with him to buy him a cup of coffee. Yeah, but we saw that in a that's commercial the, on Tim Hortons. I know, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's yeah. the Tim Hortons. That, that, that's the point. In Canada, they're running this. I swear, if you're watching a hockey game in Canada, there's like three commercials. That's it. One of <laughs> them will be for betting. One of them will be for a bank. And the other one will be Tim Hortons' Sidney Crosby. That's it. Take it to the bank. If you're watching a game in Canada, this Crosby commercial has come on every commercial island, commercial break of every game I've seen lately. Very true. I appreciate the fact that it's bilingual. Also, I will give an honorable mention to Katy Perry's Skip the Dishes commercial. Oh my gosh, yeah. That is fourth place. That has to be fourth because I see that all the time now. 
man. I, I remember uh, Mackindu and Gentilly, they do every year, right? Don't they do a, a, a commercial breakdown, Canada, U.S.? Wow. Uh, oh, well, they do a fun bowler. Yeah, I think, I, th- I don't care if it's tied into the Super Bowl, but they have a lot of fun uh, with that. But you know what? You, you brought up a good point, though, that Toronto Boston might be a matchup where you'd, if you're an outsider, you're like, man, if there's a way that they could both lose, I'd, I'd be in. So they play on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Now, Boston wins late on a Matt Grizzlick goal. It's funny. I was, I was kind of watching Ottawa and Colorado, which uh, we're not going to talk about because Ottawa lost by a touchdown. <laughs> and uh, yes. flip it over to the Bruins game, and Grizzlick has scored like with 90 seconds left, whatever. But here's, here's my legitimate, and I'm not trying, uh, people will always think I'm being facetious when I'm talking about the Leafs. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Me neither. Does it matter? Like, if they had gone into Boston, and they would have won. Wouldn't we have all just come out of that game saying, well, until they do it in April, who cares? And then yep. if they lose, we're like, well, they still can't get over the hump. It, it feels like there's nothing they can do between now and April to convince us of anything. Even That includes going into Boston and beating the Bruins. I don't think it would have mattered. I, I, I'm with you because the Toronto Maple Leafs, unfortunately, have done this to themselves over the last decade with the way that – and I mean, I get it. Like, it has gone since – 2004 where they have not won a first round series but just a a specific streak of failure between 2013 in may at the hands of the boston bruins to now where it has been so notable and so noticeable uh the 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 fact that they can't get over that hump has been like completely put into focus and because of that streak like you know it's very hard to whether you're impartial or if you're a Leafs fan to get very hyped up about the fact that they're having a great regular season. Like, like you see like individual accolades, like Austin Matthews scoring 60 last year or Mitch Marner going on the point streak that he's on. Like you, you allow yourself to enjoy those moments from time to time, but you know, once it gets to April, it's like, well, geez, if we can't get over the hump against insert team here, it's not going to matter. And it's not as if like the Toronto and look, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they've done as well as they've done in the regular season. It's not as if like they keep going up against banger, like top level teams every single time. They have had their opportunities to beat lesser teams in opening rounds of postseason, right? And they've blown those opportunities too. So like it, it's not even like they deserve the benefit of the doubt sometimes. Like it's 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 a bit of a weird thing to honest. It's one thing as a fan for one thing. But can you imagine what it's like for for me as someone who's just trying to watch games and try to be impartial? And I know I cover the team I cover, but like I I have no problem going into when it comes time for us to do predictions for the playoffs, saying that the Leafs are going to lose and just be like, hey, you know what? Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong this year because I'm. It's like Linus and Lucy from from Snoopy, the Peanuts. Like after a while, you you get fed. How are you dropping? A, you in your 20s should not be dropping a Linus and Lucy. It feels like you should be dropping like an Arthur reference. What? Or something like that. Something that you grew up... You you didn't grow up with Lucy and Linus. I mean, I've watched a few cards. I mean, they, they re-air those sometimes. I, I have seen enough of the football beam. You that's know, a, like, that's, that's impressive. Okay. That's Thank impressive. You, but, the, but that's basically what that is. And I have made that reference before. Like, at some point, you get fed up of... You have to get fed up of thinking you're going to be able to kick the football and, 
And I'm sorry, but that's that's just what it is. And like it it's I feel and I feel for Leafs fans. I know sometimes people think like, oh man, like you know, you're just a hater or whatever, but like, no, like I feel bad for y'all. Like you can't keep going through this every damn year with everything going on with this team. Like they have to get over the hump at some point. The one silver lining for them this year with the way the standings are looking, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, you might as well get your scouting in on the Tampa Bay Lightning like right now because it is it's locked, locked in. Much, it's locked in, essentially, unless something crazy yeah. happens with them or, or, or the Leafs or something else in the division because – you pretty much know who you're going to be playing in that first round. So now you also have, you almost have no excuse. Like, you know, you're going to play the first round. Like you got to figure out a way to beat those guys. And you took them to a seventh game last year that uh, was essentially decided by, uh, decided by one goal. And Nick right. Paul of all people, Nick, Nick Paul uh, with, with a couple of goals in a game seven. And you know, if I'm the Leafs, I'm sending a pro scout to every Tampa game from here on in. I'm yep. looking for detailed reports on every, single player I'm looking like it's it's essentially locked in like it feels like the Bruins have run away and hidden with a 14 point lead or whatever it is in that division it's going to be awfully tough for Toronto to catch them Tampa and Toronto maybe they'll flip-flop for home ice but there's enough of a buffer between those teams and then that next group of Buffalo Detroit Florida they're not likely going to catch like, it's very rare to say this, that it's the 8th, whatever we are, 16th of January. Yeah. I think you can lock this in. I think you can go ahead, lock it in, and that's what makes Pierre Lebrun's column uh, that dropped on Monday, Julian, really yeah. interesting. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Pierre, for the uh, the listeners that haven't had a chance to check this out, uh, fellow Dallas Cowboys fan Pierre Lebrun. I think Pierre, I have, I might have intel on the fact that he might be at that game tonight, that Buck Stars, that Buck Cowboys game tonight. He might be there. See, I don't want to even text him. I, I, I've, I've got bad <laughs> luck with him, so I'm, I'm not even going to go near him. But, but LeBron's column today is really interesting. And, and, and it's like, hey, here's a handful of trades. I think it's six of them in total. That he's like, these trades make a lot of sense. We're six weeks away from the deadline. Here are basically... Six players that I think are just dream fits. And, you know, this one's really interesting to me. It's Ryan O'Reilly to Toronto. And LeBron's argument on this, uh, Julian, his argument is basically this. The last line he writes on this topic is, there is no tomorrow for this Leafs front office if this isn't the year where the team finally gets over the playoff hump. Go and get Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, man, like it, 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 you read this and you're like, that's exactly the kind of guy they need. Like a Stanley cup winner guy who can play that kind of up and down middle six, uh, guy, like kind of what Nazem Kadri was for, for the abs. Ryan O'Reilly could come in and, uh, you know, do something like that. Um, man, I, I look at this. I'm like, that, that makes a lot of sense. If you know that you're going to get Tampa, Ryan O'Reilly might be the guy that you want down the middle. 
Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, I've heard people say that like maybe their their needs are more at the scoring wing position in that middle six for the top six. But like, I feel like for for the Leafs, if you're able to get any type of playoff contributor who knows what it takes to go down, go deep in a run and a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, who's won and can produce like you make that move. The one thing you have to worry about is is how he comes back from from injury. Right. Like that's that's the big thing with with him. We know he's been on IR for for quite some time. And he's also in a contract year. I mean, it's it's a very interesting time to be Ryan O'Reilly. But like, if you're able to make that happen and and add him to your team, I get why you make that move. But also that last line as, that you're referencing about there's no tomorrow for that front office. Like, you know, it's funny. We think of the all or nothing year off of that Amazon documentary, which was in like 2021. It's been two years since that doc, right? Or like a little less than that may be. But like, this is the real all or nothing year. If Kyle Dubas is, is out of a contract after this year is over, if Kyle Dubas can't get it done, like he, something has to happen in the front office. But but you would you agree with me on this? And again, we're, we're I hope people understand we're not trying to be facetious because I think no. sometimes when 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 non Maple Leafs people talk about the Maple Leafs, there's this idea that we're we're, we're mocking them. We're, I'm not. I'm really no, not. We're not. But the bar for this team, based on their salary cap and where the the, the core is. The bar cannot be just win a playoff round, can it? Like, the bar has to be for the group to kind of come back moving forward. Don't they have to get to at least the final four, in your estimation? Like, let's say they beat Tampa in six games. Okay, great. But then you play Boston in all likelihood in round two. If you lose that series in any shape, uh, you know, shape or form, are you not kind of just be like, it ain't, it ain't happening with this group? You know or am, what? am I wrong on that? It, it, the bar is one playoff win. This this sounds kind of weird to make this to make the point like this. It sort of depends on what Austin Matthews thinks. Because at the end of the day, I would think that if they win that opening yeah. round, that's at least a progression. And if Austin Matthews sees it that way, when it comes time for him to, neg- for him to negotiate a contract extension, then that's enough. That should be enough. Because at the end of the day, like we can go off about whatever is going to happen with the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, in the playoffs, whether they make it to the to to the second round or not. After that is done, whenever like they get eliminated or if they win the cup or whatever, the very next thing they need to focus on is Austin Matthews getting re-signed. And if the Leafs can't get out of that first round, if they can't get out of that first round, that puts the front office at risk, and frankly, it puts Austin Matthews at risk. I think if they win a round, and depending on how they win that round too. Like that means everything for a lot of people's job security. And it, I think it definitely, this is just more of a gut feeling more than Intel. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, Austin Matthews, I still would be very surprised to see him leave. That being said, if he were to leave and say, Hey, I'm going to be a free agent. I'm going to try to pick my team. This could be like the equivalent of the NHL's, attempt at doing the decision like what LeBron did a couple of years back when he was going to Miami, like on it, like on it, like actually let me, let me do this. And I'm not doing this to scare people, but if Austin Matthews decides that he wants to leave Toronto, he wants out of the city and he wants to be test the waters as a free agent. If I'm like, whether someone at the NHL could do this, someone close to Austin, I, I, and I know people didn't like the decision when LeBron did it. I would love to see something close like that. I would love to see Austin Matthews no. own that moment and be like, I'm thinking of like, I'm, I'm taking my talents to LA. I'm taking my talents to New York. 
Anyway, that's a side tangent. But all that to say, the bar being where it's at for the Leafs in terms of them winning around, like, I can understand that because it shows some kind of progression. And if they lose to a team like Boston, I mean, Boston's really good this year. Like, there's not that much fault you could take from that. Like, like, but at the same time, like, it really depends on what Austin Matthews thinks. If Austin Matthews thinks winning around is enough to believe in the core, like, if, and that comes and, and that helps him for him to resign there, like, that should be enough as far as I'm concerned because you because they need to keep him. But I think if you're Toronto and you get to that, uh, like you talk about ESPN or TNT doing a, uh, you know, Austin Matthews decision type of thing or like whatever. Like that would be so or sick. Or TSN. No, but I think if, let, let's be honest here, Julian. There's no scenario where he should get to unrestricted free agency and just walk out the door. I think if you're the Maple Leafs and you get, you have to set some sort of arbitrage. It's almost like what the Flames did with Matthew Kachuk. Mm-hmm. Like you need to set some sort of arbitrary deadline and say, if he doesn't want to be here, that's it's his choice. We cannot let this guy walk out for nothing. We can't. Yeah. We can't. I, right. I understand like, that. I, yeah, I get Ooh. that. Also, you put yourself in that, but also I feel like if you lose out on the best player who has ever played for your franchise, even if you have to put up an exorbitant return, like that's a failure on the front office. That's a failure on that team. You failed to be successful in a throughout like the early parts of Austin Matthews' career, arguably some of the best years he might get out of his career. Are, are you not just you're going to get him? You're just describing Connor McDavid, though, right? In some that ways, too. yeah, right? fine. Like, yeah, you know that's what very I mean? Fair too. Like, absolutely. It's it's, man, but they've locked him up for at least a considerable amount of years too. At least it's interesting though because I think. The funny thing is, like, there's less pressure, it feels like, for the McDavid dry side. Even though their window is just as small, it feels yep. like there's less pressure on them. Maybe it's because they got to the conference final last year that we're like, oh, okay, well, we can... 100% that it's because team, of that. 100%. But Julian, I just don't think Toronto can win one playoff round, then bow out to Boston in round two, and all of us look at each other and be like, well, that's progression. Because I don't think that's progression. I think well, progression it's not, is so it's, it's final progression four. for them. It's not, but progr- it's not it's progression for them. I'm not saying it? it's necessarily it is for them. They haven't won around in like 2000 since like 2004. I'm not saying that that's sufficient for a team like that. They should be doing so much better. And if they do, and if they do win that round, then the expectations have to. But honestly, if they win a round and they get out in the second round, the expectations are cup or bust from here on out. Like they're fully in that. It should be how, that okay. now, but they they haven't been able to get there. This core has shown that for whatever reason. Up there mentally, they have not been able to get over that hump, and they need to get and all you, they need to get over that hump. Okay, but if you were to look at the teams going to the playoffs this year in the NHL, yeah, and you would say, okay, here's the list of teams that you know the goal should be just winning one playoff round. I think I think you would put Seattle on that list, hundred percent. Right? Okay, yeah. Seattle would be on that list. How can we put Toronto on the same list as Seattle and say that the that yeah, well that's you know what I mean? Like who? Okay, so who else would go to the playoffs, lose in round one, and oh, sorry, win round one, lose round two, and people walk away and be like, ah, you know what? That's a success because it's not Tampa, it's not Boston, it's not Carolina, it's not Pittsburgh, it's not Washington, right? Like, like who is it? It's you. You tell me it's Seattle and Toronto. Hey, you that throw, can't be. You throw. Do you throw New, New Jersey? Yes. In there? You know what? Yes. I think New, yes. New Jersey would be one hundred percent. You're correct. Yes, I would put. New Jersey. Yep. To I your point, New Jersey you're there. No, no, but to your point, you're absolutely right. Like Toronto has LA, played. LA, maybe? LA? I, I, I think I, I maybe. You could talk me into LA. 
I think about LA a lot. Yeah, I think that that would that would make sense to me. Absolutely. But which of these is not like the other? I, I get like, it. I get. I get. It. It's weird too because Toronto has played as well as they've played over the last how many years, and they should be a cup contending team. They just have not done it. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe one. Maybe you're right. Maybe one round just isn't enough. But like, I just think like with like I mean, plus the Eastern Conference is not. It's not easy. It's not an easy time for them. And like you're you're telling me they're if they go up against Boston, a team that is like the bet they might go down as one of the best President Trophy winning teams. Like we're calling it now, they're going to be the best team in the league. If they can't yeah. beat them in that second round series, like that's a really good Boston Bruins team they're going to be running up against. Like I don't know. Like I I, I get it. Yes, I maybe I'm making an excuse for them by saying that, but also just like. I, but then again, too, I mean, you only have so many years. But but again, to my ultimate point, it really depends on what Austin Matthews thinks. I think at this point for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you have to do everything you can to keep a generational player like that for the long term. And if Austin Matthews thinks that, you know what, winning that one round is enough to show enough faith that they could win two, three, four uh, for the remainder of his career as a Leaf, like that, 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 that could, that could be it. That's my ultimate point. My ultimate point about that is not so much to say that like, Winning one round is enough necessarily. You're absolutely right in the fact that, like, considering how well they've played, like, that should not be the standard. But considering the fact that they have not won that round in a long time, considering the fact that their best player is up for a contract very soon, and they, I think they need to do whatever they can to to keep him. Like, I, I, I think if he feels that's enough in terms of contract negotiations, you go with that. <sighs> Man, it should you know what, we, at this point beyond winning a round, it should be all about keeping Austin Matthews. Or if you're not going to keep Austin Matthews, you get yourself like four first round picks. You get yourself a, ro- a a really good roster player or two. You you do everything you can to recoup off the fact that you could lose out if that happens on the greatest player your franchise has ever had. Listen, we, we better move off of this before we get accused of having a Maple Leafs podcast. And, and, and I don't think either of us wants that. Been there. That. Been there. Been, done yeah. that. I rule. Ugh. Oh, man. Okay, look. So the other the other deals in the LeBron column in which he's like, here's perfect matches. Obviously, Ryan O'Reilly uh, to Toronto. The one other one that I think would be really cool to see, John Klingberg to the Kraken. And you know, oh, Pierre puts... Unless he wrote Kraken in there too, because I noticed Jacob Chikrin to the Kings. Yeah, Jacob Chikrin. No, to the you're Kings. right. You're right. They're, both but, of them are mentioned. I'm sorry about but, that. But John Klingberg to the Kraken. I mean, who wouldn't love this, right? Because I think you look at this situation. Look, John Klingberg, he rolled the dice. He's like, I'm going to take a one year deal in Anaheim. I'm going to try to, you know, uh, you know, parlay that into a big year. Hasn't had a great year, but, you know, this is the type of trade where I think as hockey fans, like we should be excited about the Kraken. Like they're they're actually yeah. a really fun team to watch. They've won whatever it is eight in a row. They're scoring at a ridiculous rate. They're fun. They're like I'd love to see a team in its second year of existence, you know, spend a little bit of that draft capital. As Pierre points out, they have uh, uh, by virtue of the expansion draft and whatnot, uh, three second round picks. I don't think the way John Klingberg's playing, it doesn't feel like he's going to warrant a first round pick in a super deep draft. So why not say, hey, uh, Anaheim, here's a couple of second rounders for John Klingberg and the Seattle Kraken. We're almost getting to the point, uh, Julian, after they beat Boston in regulation time in Boston. And what I think we're getting to the point where we need to say that's a playoff team, not a bubble team. That's a playoff team in Seattle. 
they're they're not that far off from first place in the Pacific. Yeah. Like, like, yep. Like not just playoff team. If Vegas falls off a little bit and Seattle keeps this up, we could be calling the Seattle Kraken Pacific Division winners. Like that is beyond all of our expectations, especially how we looked at the Kraken last year and how they went about the expansion draft. We were thinking, okay, they're going about it in the traditional sense. And and you could still argue that like maybe they'll they'll go at it this year thinking, you know what, if they make the playoffs, I guess that's part of the plan. Or maybe not necessarily part of the plan, or at least they want to at least keep those draft picks so they can continue to build through the draft and try to maintain a, a long-term winner. But I would like to see them go for it. And also, I don't know why I got Jacob Chikorin and John Klingberg's names kind of mixed up in my head. Those names seem very similar to me. My brain just wired that way, so sorry about that. But John Klingberg to the Kraken, like, I like the idea of, of the Kraken realizing that a window is slowly opening. And they're trying to say, like, hey, you know what? Let's let's reward our players for overperforming by giving them a player who could, you know, help out for for a length for a run, whether it's lengthy or the gal in the first round or whatever, like something that just kind of helps the the players in that locker room realize, like, hey, you know what, we have something here. So so yeah, if that were to happen, like that would be really cool to see. But you're right, like the Seattle Kraken, in terms of their their play on the ice, the teams that they're beating, Matty Beneers being a leading candidate for the call of the trophy, the speed and pace that they play at too, and they have some other veterans as well who help form out that lineup. Also, Martin Jones is just doing really well for the net. Like, I think the the Seattle Kraken have turned into a really cool story uh, in the fact that they're exceeding expectations and they look they're looking like a playoff team. I'm I'm ready to call it. If they end up falling off, well, I'm sorry. Hopefully, it sucks that we would jinx them, but I hope we don't jinx them. I think I hope that uh, like they're 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 the they're the disruptors. I was saying that on, on another podcast, they're a disruptor. Like it's kind of funny. Like if they make it it's probably going to come at the expense of like an Edmonton or a Calgary. Let's be real. Or if, or if LA falls, like them too. Like Seattle's messing up a lot of people's projections in that division. And if they go out and they get themselves with John Klingberg, that could help solidify their position in that top three in that division. Absolutely. You, you know, it's going to be really hard for Seattle to make it and LA to make it. And then you, you know, at, at that point, then probably one of the Alberta teams misses or Colorado misses or St. Louis misses. And, and these are the heavyweights going into the season. We thought those were, you know, close to locks, at least certainly Colorado, I think was a lock for a lot of people. I think Edmonton was close to a lock for a lot of people. Calgary. I know there's some unknown with the change, but we thought, okay, talent wise, they should be close to it. Yeah. I thought it had them second in their projections. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, you want to talk about a disruptor. To just to steal your phrase, yeah, we gotta talk about the Philadelphia Flyers, man. Like they're disrupting their own plans. Philly has now won seven of eight. Okay, seven of yeah. eight, and in the they just swept a home and home with Washington. They've beaten some decent teams in there, right? Washington, they beat uh, uh, L.A. I think they beat. Uh, uh, you know, buff, whatever, Buffalo in there. Like, they've been beating some teams that have been playing pretty well. Now, as we're recording this podcast, we're getting set for a matinee game. It's the Flyers at the Bruins. Oof. If Philadelphia goes into Boston and beats the Bruins, I mean, is it official that we just take them right out of the Connor Bernard sweepstakes? They've played themselves out of it? Like, they're... They're pretty much out. They're, they're, they've played themselves out of a bottom five right now. Yeah. And that must be driving Philly fans nuts because there was a point there around Christmas time where it all, it was all, it was all falling apart. You're like, ah, there's the Flyers we expected. And now they've won seven of eight. What the hell is going on here? 
I know exactly what's going on here. John Tortorella took away the iPads, and now they're seeing success. Oh, my God. (laughs) No more iPads. No more iPads behind the bench. None of that. Absolutely not. Yeah, look, if I'm a Flyers fan, I'm like, I'm probably pretty pissed. Because you already go through an offseason where you don't get Johnny Gaudreau. He doesn't come home. And you're like, all right, well, we're just going to have to find a way to make this work with John Tortorella and Tony D'Angelo, of all people. And now they're in a position where they probably won't even get Connor Bedard. They might not even get it Adam Fantilli when it's all said and done. Uh, the, their only saving grace is if uh, Flames, if sorry, not Flames, but Flyers management decides like, hey, uh, we need to start getting our tank awareness up. It's time to start offloading some of these pieces. And like, what pieces could they oh. really like? Like Travis Konechny might be their best piece to offload in a trade. Yes, and like I in, saw I, that. I'm in, in in a collab piece I did with Charlie O'Connor last week, uh, where I was evaluating. Yeah, thank you. Where, where I was evaluating whether or not uh, the Flames should get him. I know Flames fans they they really like Travis Konechny. Uh, just look at the style of play that he has too, and the fact he's able to score goals. He looks like a player that the Flames would like. But like in talking to Charlie about it, like Charlie gets a sense that like John Tortorella does not want. Would not want a guy like Travis Konechny gone, especially if they're going to play like this. And if they're going to play like this, then and they're going to keep Chuck Fletcher around, then the next step is them probably thinking like, okay, we're going to do everything we can to, you know, make the playoffs next year and get some players who can fit with us. So you'd want to keep a guy like Travis Konechny around unless you're able to get some kind of solid return. So if they're going to do this, they're they're making their bet here. Uh, good luck because this is this is not the year. If you are in that mushy middle, yeah. As as uh, other people might like to call it, that random little middle spot where you know you're just kind of no man's land and you're not good enough to make the playoffs, but you're not good enough to tank. Get the hell out of that middle. Make a decision what you're trying to do because this is not the year to fool around with that. If you want to be in the Bedard sweepstakes, fall down. Get that tank awareness up and put yourself in that position. Konechny, by the way, is scoring uh, at about a 50 goal pace this season. Like Travis Konechny has 24. Good. I know he missed a handful of games. He's got 24 goals in 37 games. Like that's, again, that's, that's obviously really a 50 good. goal pace. He missed a handful of games. Like he's projected out, I think, to score about 48 goals this year. Like if he plays the whole year, because he, like that's a, that's an unbelievable year, but he's only 25. You got to ask you, like if I'm, if I'm Philly, I'm hanging on to that guy all day. Like he's, yeah. he's a guy you can still, I think, build around, but yeah, you got to ask yourself, like what on earth are you doing winning? It's very rare that a a professional sports franchise would win seven of eight games and it might exasperate the fan base. But I think this is what's exactly happening there. I think, I think, look, there's a few teams that like, I think if Vancouver went on a similar run, I think their hands, the, 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 the the fans would throw their hands up. Like, what are you doing here? Right. Like that mushy middle. Once you get to the middle of the season, I think because most hockey fans were all cynical by nature, right? Like, like, we're all like, ah, screw it. We're never going to win. You start to almost talk yourself into the tank. You talk yourself into, you know what? Let's just flush the season. We'll just get a high draft pick. We'll regroup again. What do you say? We all get together again in August. And and then when your team starts winning games, you, you feel so conflicted. So conflicted. Yeah. I Just looking from afar, seeing what the Montreal Canadiens went through at the beginning of their season, where they were overachieving a little bit. Chicago went through this too, where they're playing a little bit better. I'm not sure how the fans might've been thinking there, but like, yeah, like fans like feels if like, Oh, Hey, wait a minute. 
maybe we don't have to tank. Maybe we could maybe we could actually play above ourselves. And then when that fall inevitably comes, it's like, well, what the hell is going on? But I think people would rather that as opposed to right. like them sucking at the beginning and then they find yep. their stride and then they play themselves out of it. Um, also, you mentioned Vancouver. Vancouver uh, Bruce Boudreaux might be the only head coach I could think of right now whose team could win like seven of eight and go on a really good run and still have themselves fired or lose their job by the end of the year. Have their contract not renewed in this case, I guess. But like, yeah, that yeah, I just I wanted that right. comment out there about Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah, I think you're right. Like it's, uh, you know, you know, Vancouver fans and Philly fans, you know, we, we talked earlier about how as a Dallas Cowboys fan, you kind of always expect the worst to happen in the Leafs. Boy, I tell you, Vancouver, Philly, and Buffalo fans, Sabres, Canucks, and Flyers fans probably feel the same way. It's like, you haven't seen your team win a championship in the case of Vancouver and Buffalo ever, ever. in your 50 years. And if you're Philadelphia, unless you're over the age of 50, you probably don't remember those cups from the 70s. So, hey, there, you know, sometimes I think in sports, we like to think that there's only a couple of tortured franchises. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like 80% of fan bases feel like they're cheering for a tortured fa- franchise, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, every, almost every franchise yeah. in sports has their own level of torture, except for, I mean, yeah, no, every franchise has it. It's just, it's just that some teams, they have their little era where they look really good and maybe yeah, they win they out of windows. it and they take advantage of their little windows, but then they eventually fall down to the level like everyone else. I mentioned Vancouver in yeah. the uh, in the conversation. I want to talk about, and I, listen, this was a tough story uh, to to kind of see unfold on the weekend, especially if uh, you're like me. I grew up in Vancouver in the '90s, early '90s, with that you know kind of watching that Trevor Linden, Cliff Ronning, Pavel Bure group go and do some amazing things. And a big part of that, Julian, was Gino Ogic. And you know, Gino was a guy that. Um, you know, and unfortunately he passed away this weekend at the age of 52. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to send you something now because I don't think, I don't know if you saw this, okay? I shared this on Twitter earlier. I want you to take a minute. I just sent it to you on uh, our messaging app there, Slack. Okay? Cool. Genoagic, to give people a sense of how popular Genoagic was in Vancouver, you need to watch this video. You don't even have to have the sound on to hear what is a very young Chris I'm watching Cooper. right now. It's Perfect. young Chris Cuthbert on the call. Oh, wait, John, really? Oh, I, have to John, put, I almost have to put the sound okay. up for that. It is Big Chris, Chris Cuthbert. Cuthbert fan here. Oh, who doesn't love Cuthbert? Okay. But listen, oh, just watch the reaction. Gino Wojcik scores a penalty shot goal against Mike Vernon. Okay. I want you to just watch the reaction of Gino Wojcik. Look at the crowd. It's just, there's very few things in sports that where you can just kind of show one clip to try to explain to people how there was a connectivity between an athlete and its fan base. Genoagic and Vancouver had this wonderful relationship. I, it's so hard to put into to words, but this, 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 this video here, it really does the job and just watch his celebration. Uh, you know, Gino's a tough guy. He's not known for scoring and he comes in and he scores his goal. Just watch the celebration. Like you would never see a player celebrate a random penalty shot goal in October. Okay, here's the penalty shot. Like this. Okay, alone. so watch it. He goes, I think wow, he goes stick okay. side on Mike Vernon. He goes uh, stick side. Just, yeah. Oh, no, my God. The <laughs> he's just, just go- it's like he won a Stanley Cup or something. Yeah, exactly. This is an October game. 
Okay. And he's fist pumping. He's still celebrating. Yeah. He's, no, he's it's high-fiving wild. everybody. It's, it, you, you, I, I can't it's explain to you. So, so Julian, like, you know, when you're a teenager, so I think when, when Gina Wojcik broke into the NHL, yeah, I think I was about 13 years old, 13 or 14 years old. Okay. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, there's the first game this guy ever played in the NHL happened to be broadcast on TV. So you remember we said on the athletic hockey show Mondays, I'm going to try to teach you yes. things about yes. early nineties hockey. Okay. Yes. So back in the day, not every game that you, uh, of your favorite team was actually broadcast on television. In fact, it was tough to see your favorite team in the middle of the week. Oftentimes you would have to wait for Saturday. If you were lucky, maybe the odd Wednesday game was on whatever, but not every game was televised. But I remember watching, and this would have been October of, I think, the year before. So maybe, or November of the year before. So 1990, I'm whatever, like I said, 13 years old. Yeah. And it's Vancouver against Chicago on like a Thursday night. And I turn on the TV and there's this guy for Vancouver wearing number 66. That was my first, like, what the hell? Who is this? Who wears, because Mario, Mario Lemieux was like at the height of his... Powers yeah, at that powers. point, right? Yeah. Like, who is this guy? He's wearing 66. He drops the gloves and he fights Dave Manson, who is one of the toughest guys in Chicago. Crowd goes crazy. Comes back later, he fights Stu Grimson. Jeez. Like, what? Who is this? It, it was like the greatest entry a player in the 90s could have had. You come rolling in wearing 66, fighting the toughest guy. I'm telling you from that moment, it was like we all fell in love with Gino Ogic. And Man. you it's I almost can't think of too many other times in which I've seen a player come in and in their debut, you just fall in love with them for whatever reason. And Gino was a, just a for the, the the people just don't understand what this guy was. It was so fascinating to watch him. It was so sad. I'm telling you, when I saw that news, it was awful on the weekend. It just felt like a part of my childhood was crushed because that guy was somebody I used to watch all the time. I used to go to the old Pacific Coliseum, watch the game. I wasn't even a Canucks fan per se, but I just loved watching those early nineties Canucks teams because that was my team in my market. And, and you know, you don't see those types of players anymore, right? You don't see that sort of the fighter or the larger than life personality. And it's weird, right? Because I think in today's day and age, you, it would be very hard for like a bottom six player to come in in their NHL debut and everyone just kind of falls in love with them. And you're like, that guy's awesome. Hey, right? Like the game has changed so much, but I just, I felt like that, that video and I'll, 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 I shared it on Twitter. I think it really gives a window. And you know, as I went back and rewatched it, Chris Cuthbert, who sounds totally different, but that guy's the best play by play love guy Chris. going right now. And Cuthbert says, as Gina Wojcik is celebrating in the back, he says something along the lines of, Gino Wojcik could run for the premier of, of, of BC right now. That's how popular he was. <laughs> it's, it, it was wild. Just wild. I have a Chris Cuthbert story that I'll tell you off air because I can't tell that on here. But um, I will what, say what? this that about sounds like a, That sounds like a nefarious Chris Cuthbert story. No, 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 no. Chris Cuthbert is not the nefarious. There's no, nefari no, he's there's the no best. nefariousness here. But like, it's, it's a story I'd rather tell off air. Um, oh. But I will say this about Gino Wojcik. <laughs> Um, Gino Ogic ended his career with the Montreal Canadiens and as a very young, very young person in the early 2000s, 
uh, just starting to watch hockey, like in elementary school and going to school with your friends and talking about the teams you saw the night before. You talk about how hard it is to watch NHL games in the 90s. If you're an Anglo-Montrealer in like the early part of the century, in 90s, I'm sure years before, talking about watching your team in English. Like that's something that like CPC might only do every so often. Like you, you have to watch it in French, which over time you realize is probably a bit more superior compared to watching the games on in English for this on the CBC at the time. I mean, no disrespect to all those guys, but like it was cool to watch on Radio Canada and then eventually LDS when they got the rights and stuff and all that. But that's a side tangent. But like for Gino Ogic, like he was on those like early 2000s Canadians teams when they were in the dark ages where like those teams were just bad. Like the drafting was bad. The quality on the ice was bad. If they were going to make the playoffs, they weren't going to go that far anyway. So like Gino Ogic for me as a young person, I, I unfortunately tie them to a time in that team's history where they were just not significant or, or relevant. And like, I've only realized, unfortunately in his passing and a little bit here and there over the last few years that he, maybe it's weird to say that he's this larger than life figure, but he had had this reputation from playing in Vancouver all these years as this lovable person, as this lovable player on the ice. And I wish that I was able to, see that in real time and not just have him as an afterthought on some random Canadians teams that I watched in the early 2000s. So uh, it's been really cool to see people, uh, you know, just, just send their, well, just speak about Gino online, uh, even if it does come at an unfortunate time, but uh, just goes to show, you know, when people are around, you give them their, give them your flowers when you can, because you never know what could happen to them. Man, those early 2000s Habs teams, like that was my favorite team kind of growing up. And that's kind of when I got into this industry. So I stopped the fandom right yeah. around that time. I think I got out at a good time. Like I, I was still cheering for them when Jeff Hackett was their goalie. Yeah, that that's that's for that's me right like around the, entry the time, point. right? Yeah. That's the edge. You know what's funny? That's the yeah. entry point. Maybe me. I got yeah. out and I and maybe I, I I inadvertently like handed you some sort of imaginary ticket onto the Habs bandwagon where I'm like, okay, I'm leaving now to cover this sport. I need another young guy to come in and you just grab the ticket. You're like, all right, I'm I'm in. And then you look at the lineup and you're like, oh, Oleg Petrov is here. Okay. <laughs> Ian, would do you do you want to know when my exit point was for cherry for the Montreal Canadiens. Take a wild guess when it was. Think about how old I am. Think about, take a wild guess. Like, were you stopped cheering for them, but you were, was it when you were started working in the industry or no? Like, S yes and no. Yes and no. Like, sort was of. this around the, the, the time of the Shea Weber, uh, like Shea Weber for PK Subban trade? Let me tell you, let me tell you a story, man. Let me okay. tell you a story. In light of the PK Subban uh, festivity yeah, la last week. Just last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I've mentioned before, I did a, a year at Syracuse University uh, doing a grad degree over there. Um, my parents helped me move into my apartment and all that. We moved, uh, what, June 30th. June 29th is the day PK Subban was traded. Yes. And the whole, you know, the world. Hockey the world hockey melted world, down. Nelted down off of that in the Steven Stamco signing of the Taylor Hall trade. I was packing my things in my parents' basement, like, as all of that was going on. And then I saw the trade happen, and I was like, well, I'm going to go live in America for a year. 
And I honestly thought at that point, considering like all the stuff I've been doing to that point and my hopes out of that thinking like, hey, maybe I can get a job in the States. And I, I honestly thought to myself, like, you know what? This is probably going to be the start of my life where like I'm not going to care about hockey nearly as much. So I just said, you know what? Considering the fact that like PK Subban is not going to be a Montreal Canadiens player anymore, like maybe this is the the ideal time to get off. Like my dad and I would talk about my dad and I, we still do talk about hockey like all the time and talk about PK and how we both just felt that like the organization didn't really rate him like that, you know, just with all the the tension and the negotiations, contracts and stuff. So it was just like, all right, now is going to be the time to get off the, the bandwagon. And I figured like, all right, I'm going to be in, in America for you. They're not going to care about hockey all that much. And then I ended up interning for an AHL team while I was there. And then when I got back to Montreal, I ended up writing for um, uh, an SB Nation site, uh, Habs Ice on the Prize. But I said, you know what? I'm not going to be a, a Canadians fan. This is just my way into the industry. And look where I am now. So, yeah, maybe some other kid took Hang it on. after June 29th and then moved on. Right. There you go. Just, that's how passing the torch. We're passing the torch, just like they do with the uh, inside that Habs dressing room. So, very quickly though, we need to hear a little bit more about your internship with the was it Syracuse Crunch? Yes, the Syracuse Crunch. Okay, so like, what what were you doing as an intern? Like media stuff? Yeah, like I was a broadcast intern. So basically, my job. Uh, so the play by play guy for the Crunch at the Times, a guy named Dan Duva, who has since moved on uh, to call Vegas Golden Knights games on radio uh, out there. But my job. Uh, with like three other interns at the time, we would compile all these different like notes uh, on the crunch and also on no. opposing teams. And we basically just like feed them to 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 the play by play guy during the broadcast. OK, hang on. No, re- no, no surprise. Dan Duva made it to the NHL. Guy had four interns working for him. <laughs> I could get to the NHL that way. So, so that's part of it. But also, but also, uh, if you weren't like feeding stats to him during a game, um, we would have like a camera set up uh, that would be filming the game, and uh, you would you would have someone cutting up highlight packs. So I'd spend a lot of time actually uh, cutting up highlight packs of those crunch games, and uh, like you're cutting up all the major highlights, doing it period by period, and like maybe not as soon as the game is over, but like as fast as you can do it, you get those clips uploaded online. And then they get shipped out and then fans who want to watch highlights of crunch games could go do that. And then I got some opportunities to like write some articles for the AHL website too and stuff. Like it was, uh, it was cool. Also what was cool is that Julian Breezeball was, uh, was, was, would be down in Syracuse. And like one of my first days there, like everyone was excited to be like, Oh my God, we have an intern from Montreal whose name is Julian. We're going to have him meet Julian Breezeball. And like, I got to meet him in his office and it was like, Oh my God, like this is, Julia Breezewa. Like that was a that was a, a really fun year. All right, I got I got to ask you. Yes. Whatever year that was with the Syracuse Crunch, were some of the big lightning like was that the, like a Yanni Gord uh, Yanni Gord team? So just thinking of <laughs> uh, so Yanni Gord was on that team. You know what player I really wanted? I was really looking forward to. So I I, I got interviewed for it, and I was with like Dan Duva at like the the War Memorial Arena in Syracuse. And I remember going to him and be like, yeah, I'm really excited about the opportunity to, to, to intern with you and get to see some lightning prospects in the system like Braden Point. I was really looking forward to watching Braden Point that year. The lightning got hit by this like massive injury bug. So like Braden Point started the year with started the year with that team and he never got sent down to Syracuse. So I never got to watch Braden Point. But Yanni Gord was on that team with the crunch 
Eric Condra, you might remember him. Oh. You might remember Corey. You might remember Corey Conacher as well. Yeah. Uh, I think Christos Goodlevsky's was the was the goalie. Uh, Adam Ernie, who's now playing in Detroit, was also there. Uh, Gabriel Dumont was on that team too. Uh, those were names. They went all the way to the to the Calder Cup final. Actually, that year they uh, they lost, but uh, it was a it was a really fun time. Amazing. I love I love intern. I love good intern story, especially. Now that I know that you were part of Dan Duva's harem of interns. <laughs> uh, I sure was. Yeah. You sure were. All right. Hey, listen, every, uh, every Monday we end up uh, wrapping up the show with a couple of segments. Uh, there is no point in doing a Jack Adams of the week kind of a breakdown here. Just stop the fight, Julian, is Dave Haxtell. Seattle went Again? 4-0. 4-0. Outscored their opponents 19 to 8. They went into Boston, became the first team to beat the Bruins in regulation time at TD Garden. Stop the fight. Dave Haxtell is your Jack Adams winner of the week. And I don't think there's anybody else in the in in the running here. You get a you beat the best team in the league, and yeah. you and now people are looking at you as like a like a like a playoff team and potential division winner. What else do we need to say? Nothing. That's all yours, Dave Haxtell. Uh, you've done it. So Dave Haxtell wins it. But let us wrap up. I actually, I'm really interested to hear your answer on this one. Okay? Yes. A little multiple choice yes. badness Monday. I'm going to give go. out a, a list of four players. I love it when the listeners play along with this too. Uh, I'm going to give out a list of four players here who are currently inside the top 10 in league scoring. And I think for a lot of fans, you may not realize these players are in the top 10 in league scoring because you know about McDavid and you know about Dreisaitl and you've probably heard that Eric Carlson's having a great year but I'm not sure about these other guys so here's my question to wrap up the Monday pod which player do you think deserves some more credit more attention more love for the fact that he's a top 10 uh, uh, member of league scoring right now is it A. Nikita Kucherov B. Miko Rantanen C. Matthew Kachuk or D. Kyle Connor Julian who deserves some more love and hockey fans need to know hey just an FYI, that guy's top 10 in league scoring. Is it weird that I'm deciding between Miko Rantanen and Kyle Connor? Because Kyle Connor is just like, it seems like he's perennially underrated. And I know, but the, I know the Jets are really good. But like when we think of the best goal scorers in the league, like Kyle Connor, it's like we sometimes forget that he could just like score like 40 goals. He could just score 40 goals in his sleep. Like we just forget about the fact right. that like he is a thing. If the if the Olympics happened in like 2022 with sorry if the NHL players were allowed to go to the Olympics in 2022, Kyle Connor would be a lock on that team USA team. At the same time, Miko Rantanen is playing on a Colorado team that has been banged up with so many injuries throughout the year, and you could make the argument he has single handedly kept them relevant and kept them within a fighting chance of making a playoff spot because of his play, like. So it really depends on, on hmm, you know what? Maybe because of the fact that, like, Miko has to put in more work on his back, you probably give it to him. But I really hope people are are, are putting the respect on, on Kyle Connor's name here because, like, this is a dude who I think is still, like, disrespected in terms of goal scorers in this league. But Miko Rantanen deserves, a, deserves way more credit because of the challenges that are are fitting for, for, for the Avalanche this year considering the short summer that they had and now they're – they're outside of the playoff spot, but not because they're not good enough, but because of the injuries they've suffered. You know what? Can I, and this might sound weird too. Am I the only one who didn't know Nikita Kucherov was third in scoring? 
like I feel like I haven't heard much about him this year. Guys get, he, the guy's on pace, Julian, to get 125 points, man, which would be about the same number he had when he won the Hart and the and the Art Ross and all that stuff a couple of years ago. Like guys on pace for a 90 assist, 125 point season. I don't feel like we were talking about him at all. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe everyone else else is talking about Nikita Kucherov. But I feel like he's having a sneaky good year that's gone under the radar. No? Uh, to your point, 41 games played <laughs> this year, 17 goals, 62 points. Uh, last year in 47 games, 25 goals, 69 points. He's almost about to match his pace in as many games from last year. I think the reason why is because we know Tampa is supposed to be great. But also it's kind of funny because they might be on the other side of that hill of greatness. Like at yep. this point, I feel like if they make the cup final again, like that's sort of gravy for them. Like you're not supposed to be going to the cup final in consecutive years, the way that the Tampa Bay lightning have, they've already established themselves as the dynasty of well, actually, that might be a whole debate in itself. If they truly are the dynasty of the, of the, of the century so far, but they're definitely, I think the team of the salary cap era. I think that shouldn't be a dispute, and that's no disrespect to Pittsburgh. I think Tampa Bay is, but like, I, I maybe that's maybe that's it. Maybe it's the fact that because we just expect yep. the Lightning to be good, Nikita Kucherov has, has been a top level player, is a top level player, and he's not someone like a Kyle Connor who like people will be like, oh yeah, right, like he exists. So maybe that's why he's up there. Matthew Kachuk too, also coming off a forty goal season, and he's doing some great things on a Florida team that is looking like they're in that weird middle we were talking about earlier, but. For Matthew Kachuk to be playing at a high level, even top 10 in scoring, I'm not completely surprised because of the level of play we've seen him start to play at from when he was with the Flames to now. That's not a complete surprise. So we still got to decide between Ranton and Connor, but maybe Ranton's, I think, is going to be my pick. And if if Kucherov is your pick, then we could always just go off with those two guys. Yeah, there you go. That and love to hear from listeners. By the way, uh, me picking Nikita Kucherov, that's the last complimentary thing I'm going to say about a Tampa player today. Please think of me and Pierre Lebrun and Chris Johnston as we get set for Tampa, Dallas. Think of your favorite uh, reporters, Julian. Chris Johnston, myself, Lebrun. Some of your favorite people in the industry are going to be on pins and needles tonight for a Dallas Cowboys. So think about us. When that game melts down, they inevitably turn the ball over in the fourth quarter and lose. Just think of us. Okay? Think oh of us. Oh, my God. Oh my God! And then if you guys win, what are you guys gonna do? You guys gonna jump in a circle and just like hug each no, other and laugh? We're gonna lament the fact that we gotta go to San Francisco. Our team has to go to San Francisco. <laughs> the right to get your ass whooped. Yeah, exactly. All right. Hey, listen, we'll leave it there. This was a ton of fun. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening to this Monday edition of the Show. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and review. We appreciate that. You can follow us on YouTube as well at youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show right now uh, you can get a one-year subscription to the athletic for two dollars a month when you visit athletic.com slash hockey show